0: up everybody welcome back to another episode of Don't of up the ship podcast it's episode 101 uh and today i'm talking to uh a pretty interesting dude uh he was in the marine corps for um i recorded it the other day so it's something like 13 14 years he, he says it in the episode but um he can't he left the marine corps as a gunnery sergeant uh which is a e7 um and then like he wanted a commission and couldn't guarantee the career field that he wanted, um, in the Marine Corps and ended up transitioning over to the Navy. Um, just finished all of his schooling, uh, and is on his way to his first duty station. So we talked a lot about, um, kind of how the Marine Corps does things, how enlisted leadership works in the Marine Corps versus what he has seen so far in the Navy. Um, Kind of some of his ideas on those types of things, and and then some of his uh, like concerns about uh, like getting onto of the officer side of things, and like what's he worried about about the transition? How's it going to be different? And and not just transitioning from enlisted to officer, but also from Marine Corps to Navy. I mean, it's a huge, drastic transition. And it's not like, you know, the experience that he had as a gunnery sergeant won't serve him well, but it's just a really interesting scenario. Um, And we talked a lot about uh, all of the leadership implications of his journey and his transition. It was super fun. In lieu of ever having a sponsor, I've basically created my own. If you want to support us, go to dgetsapparel.com. Don't give up the ship apparel. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at D Guts Apparel. Uh, it's Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. I went out of my way to create some really awesome stuff that I think you'll really enjoy, and it's some stuff that I think you'll actually wear. Uh, I hate all the stuff in the Navy Exchange section. I hate a lot of the stuff I see on social media where some somebody's side hustle is creating like nauseating gear that no one actually wants, except for like crusty old retirees, which I'm about to be. So I don't know if I should uh, talk smack, but anyway, uh, go check it out. degutsapparel.com. If you want to support us, that's the best way to do it. And I would really appreciate it. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy this one. Check it out. All right. Looks like it's recording. So, all right, cool. Um, yeah, man. So like, you know, like we just talked about, like, let's start with the bio. And I know I'm going to interject because your bio is going to be such a and like your background is going to be context for the whole conversation. It's like one of the reasons why I think you're going to be such an interesting guest. But just start start at the beginning. I'm sure I'll have questions as you go along and it'll probably be like the, naturally progress into like all the other stuff that that we're going to talk about. But just start with your your Marine Corps background and then how you ended up uh, in the better service.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, thank, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah. So I, I joined the Marine Corps back in 2013, uh, originally wanting to be a reservist, uh, mm-hmm. and I'll try to speak Navy rates just so that it's easier to yeah. transfer. Um, so I originally wanted to be an MA in the reserves, mm-hmm. uh, so that I could become an officer. And then I decided, you know what, education's stupid. Let me just <laughs> go full Marine. And, um, so I found CTI and I was like, that looks cool. I can speak sign language and Spanish. Um so I, I joined as a CTI, went to DLI, um, got Arabic, went to my follow on school, and then um went out so to you Camp speak Virginia. Arabic? Yeah. Wow. How it, hard was that? So it it varies for like from dialects? person. Oh person. Uh, um, okay. So for me, I just have a really good knack at patterns. Okay. So Arabic is all based off of patterns. Okay. Um, so it's just a three letter root system. So I just found it easy to pick up. Um, and so yeah, I I did that. And then the Marine Corps doesn't really use you in that manner if you're, if you're not going to a target place. So that's one, one area where the Navy and the Marine Corps differ. Um, so I went out to uh, my first battalion. And they were like, hey, what do you want to do? And I was like, y'all are deploying in two months. I want to go. And they were like, slow down. Let's get <laughs> some training. Um, so I ended up deploying three times out of there, twice to Afghanistan, uh, once to Guatemala,
0: never once used my language. <laughs> uh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> typical DOD. Let's put a bunch of money into teaching you a, a very relevant language to like the def- like <laughs> nation's defense and goals and stuff, and then never use it. Yeah, oh, so it's hilarious. Um,
1: I, I basically operated as a CTR during that uh, during that time frame, okay. and then went down to Fort Gordon, did the like Ctn thing, got a little bit of language stuff out of there, but nothing crazy. Um. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna put in for officer again. So yeah. submitted an officer package in 2014, 2015, applied for college. Um, I, I was putting in for the MESEP program, which is okay. similar to the Navy State 21 program. Yeah. Um, and I found out that there's no guarantee on the job that you would get. And so I decided, mm. you know what, I'm just going to pull this. Like, I, I need to look into other things.
0: So this is a unique program to the Marine Corps because we have one that's called MESEPs. It's this medical enlisted yes. commissioning program. So, so, so the
1: program you're talking about, Marines can apply to as well. I, I okay, have a really good gotcha. friend that's a lieutenant um, that applied a couple years before I got out. Um, okay. So we can do that one, but it's the Marine enlisted commissioning education program. Okay, so it's a different one. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's just like State 21. Yeah, yeah. Um. So you like you go to OCS, then you go to college, um, and then you get commissioned out of college, and then mm-hmm. the Marine Corps. You go to the basic school, and that's where you are given your job. Okay. Um, and so I was like, you know what, I need to figure something else out. So, started talking to the to the airmen and the sailors that I worked with. Not really the army, um, because I have no desire to be part of the army, <laughs> and uh, and so. I decided, you know what, I'm going to get out of the Marine Corps, but I want to make this place better before I leave. So I put in to be a, um, a professional military instructor so that I could go teach all the sergeants mm. and my monitor, which is uh, the equivalent of a detailer, basically said, hey, you know what, I'm going to send you to Quantico. It's the same as going to Japan. And I was like, not really, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he put me there and, and it was incredible because I got to write curriculum. So instead nice. of- dealing with 120 people at a time. I got to write curriculum for thousands of people every year. That's cool. Um, And so I finished up my degree, put in an inter-service transfer, talked to the Navy recruiter and the Air Force recruiter, had both packages ready to go. Um, Both recruiters are like, yeah, as soon as you get that inter-service transfer, let us know. And I got it back denied. Um, And that you know, kind of took the wind out of my sails. I was they, not prepared for that. What
0: did they deny it based? Like, did they give you like yeah. any type of reason?
1: Yeah. So um, I, I talked to my monitor and he was like, yeah, you're all good. You're all good. And by the time the package made it to his desk, he had turned over with somebody else. Oh, uh, wow. And <laughs> at the same time that he was turning over, a friend of mine did the medical commissioning program. So mm-hmm. went from Navy to Marine Corps or from Marine Corps to Navy, another friend went IP. And then another guy is now a warrant officer flying helicopters for the army. What's IP? Uh, information professional. Okay. Uh, it's, it's an IWC. And, okay. um, and so he's like, look, dude, I've got, I've got three staff NCOs who just, I was a staff sergeant at the time. I've got three staff and CEOs that have just left and now I have a fourth that's trying to leave right now in the span of like three or four months. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I had like a three hour conversation with them, left heartbroken and I was yeah. like, okay, fine. If you're not going to approve it now, send me back to a tactical unit. I'll get a deployment or two under my belt, get out of the Marine Corps. And then I, you know, as I'm approaching my EAS, I'll reapply. And he was like, yep, no problem. I'll approve it. So I finished out my time at Quantico, went back to that first battalion that I was at, um, slated to go to Afghanistan, did the work up. uh, And then earlier that year, we had gotten, we'd become friends with the, with the Taliban. You know, we had signed all the agreements and whatnot. And so they canceled my deployment. Um, And I was like, that's fine because now I get to apply for the Navy and I don't have to worry about doing this overseas. I get to do it while I'm at home. So, right. Uh, graduated college, put in my inner service transfer, applied um, January of last year, got picked up April of last year, and then hit OCS in September. And now I've just, you know, been in school trying to learn, um, trying to learn my job and and what I'm going to be doing. And then hopefully by the time this uh, this podcast comes out, I have an idea of where I'm going and what it is that I'm actually going to be doing. So, nice.
0: So. And I know the answer, because we talked a little before we started recording, but how long were you in the Marine Corps? So I was in for 13 years. Um, and when you, when you did, um, like when you transferred over, like what was your rank at, when, so you, when you moved over? Yeah. So I was, I was a gunny when I transferred over. I'd, I'd been a gunny for about 18 months. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> like, I mean, not that it doesn't happen in the Navy uh, where, you know, like chiefs getting commissioned, have happens all the time. Like, you know, we both know somebody yeah um but so like i guess like so you is the is the primary motivator for you going from the marines to the navy the control over your destiny basically like the job doing the job that you wanted to do
1: yeah yeah because you know with with 13 years in you know i had been working in this field i've got a degree that's applicable to this field and I didn't want the, the Marine Corps to say, that's awesome, but you're going to be an administrator or right. you're going to be a logistician. And no shade to those jobs. you know. I've yeah. heard wonderful things about them, but that's not what I wanted to do. Right? Um, and I've talked to general officers. I actually saw my commanding general from my first deployment while I was at OCS and told him the story. And he was like, it's an absolute shame. Yeah, that we don't, you know, allow prior enlisted people to like remain in their job field, and we actively push them out of it.
0: Yeah, um, that's bizarre to me. But like, but also, I mean, there's plenty of examples. I think in every service of misuse of talent. Like, I just right. there's so much. Um, like, one <laughs> there's a funny example that happened in the last year where, um, so the community, like so I'm in like a little subset of the submarine community where it's like uh, ballistic missile submarines, nuclear deterrence, blah, blah, blah. Um, like I was the third submarine I was on was a ballistic missile submarine, and then the the job I'm working I'm on a flag staff now, where we're kind of like over a bunch of those types of submarines and whatever. But um but basically they were uh they were like writing an instruction and like war gaming this these scenarios of Underway replenishments for these boats in like a nuclear war scenario, right? And so they're mm-hmm. trying to create these procedures of how they're going to resupply uh, log- and the logistics of doing so. And what, like, what do we need? When do we need it? How are we going to get it on board? All these things, right? So you're talking about like parts, consumables, food uh, primarily. And the whole time I keep hearing about it and I'm like waiting for them to tell me because, like, You know for those unaware i'm the food guy like so and i'm like for the region that we're in i'm the guy and so i'm like and the command that's doing it i work at so i'm like of you know of course of course all of these post command tour officers and the flag level folks are going to realize that you should invite subject matter experts (laughs) to provide their input because otherwise why are we providing them a paycheck they did the whole thing on their own. A bunch of nuclear trained officers, a bunch of engineers wrote this instruction, came up with the policy, made all the decisions on how they were going to do everything without consulting the supply officer or the two master chiefs whose (laughs) only job is to do logistics and like food service. And I'm like, and then I started to hear about how they were doing it. And I was like, that's not going to work. Like, and now here's the, here's the 27 reasons why um, just the brain dead plan that they had to, to try to make this thing happen. And it was, I just, you know, like it's one of the reasons why I feel like a weight has lifted off me, uh, as I'm, you know, effectively retired right now. Like I still have, I'm getting that surgery. I told you about before we started recording and I'm on three weeks of convalescent leave. And then the day my convalescent leave, uh, convalescent leave, uh, ends my terminal leave starts. And so I'm like, I'm never going back to work. Um, <laughs> At least not that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like, I, I'm just like, you know, like I, I breathe this collect, this like sigh of relief over, and it's not because like I, I'm going to miss the people. Uh, like there's a part of me that like, yeah, you know, like you're going to, I'm going to mourn like the, just the transition, like the loss of a significant part of my life. Like I, I don't, I never say that like, like being a master chief in the Navy or being a submariner or whatever is like is who I am Um, or even as a part of who I am. It's a thing I did and it definitely shaped who I am, but it's not like my identity. I think a lot of people get lost in that sometimes. So like I'm not I'm going to be mourning like the loss of that like like stage in my life, I guess, as I move on to the next one. But like, I don't know, man, like I just. There's so much of it that I'm not going to miss at all. And I told my wife when I got home today that I'm just like, I thought I was going to be emotional realizing that I'm probably never going to put my uniform on. And I was like grinning. <laughs> like, I went to the exchange and did some stuff. Uh, I bought these sweet socks. They're like uh, they're the two characters, the two Will Ferrell and the other dude from the office or not the office. Uh, Step Brothers. Oh, OK. Where yeah. It says well, it's got, one of them's got Will Ferrell and it says, call me dragon. And the other one says, call me Nighthawk. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's what I, I was just grinning ear to ear today. And then I got home and I was just in this great mood and uh, it was kind of bizarre, but like, there's a long backstory to why I decided I wasn't even going to take terminal. And then I did cause I got a new boss that I don't want to ever see again in my life. And so I just decided to like ride off. Um, but that that's the stuff like, yeah, you know I mean like that. I'm just like, thank God I don't have to like, I don't have to recognize that type of of misallocation of resources and just like brain dead decision making and mind numbingly stupid plans that people come up with or just policy decisions that get trolled via memes and like, you know, angry posts on Reddit, you know, like it's yeah. I just... I'm so glad that I and obviously I'll be on the fringe of it talking to people about it on the podcast for, you know, as long as I do this, but it's just that kind of crap, man. I it but blows it's my mind. It's different when you're when you're seeing it from the outside versus when you're going to work right. every single day and
1: you're like, oh, this is still happening. This is yeah. still a thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. But it's like the the amount of talent because I, I talk a lot about the amount of talent we lose just due to inept leadership, man. Like the leaders being uneducated and unequipped and and just outmatched by the task because they're unqualified to do it by no fault of their own in in my opinion um but it's like we lose so many people just to that that to to then see see and hear about all the other ways that we just misallocate resources and like mismanage personnel in that type of way it's like it's it's painful. It's painful to watch and experience, and and not be able to meaningfully affect in a lot of ways. Like I've gotten to anecdotally experience impacting that as like a command career counselor at one point, and just being somebody's chief and getting involved and and helping get them in the program or direction or whatever that they wanted to go, because everybody else, you know, like just shrugs at them or shares like inaccurate tribal knowledge or whatever it is that it just kept throwing up roadblocks in front of these people. And I'm just like, no, I'm going to fix this out of this, you know, like, (laughs) and I, I try, yeah, I get it. And you throw your anchors behind stuff and it gets things done, which like, while it's nice to have that, like, like low key superpower, it's like, well, why, why does, I shouldn't have to do that. Like I shouldn't, right. If there's a, a program that exists that sailors should just be able to apply for it and not even need my influence. Like I shouldn't have to call some dude in Millington and like jump off the top rope onto their desk to get that thing rolling when it's like they're clearly eligible for it. And right all the other yeah. You know. So I don't know. It the it's it's bureaucracy. Let's just <laughs> like it's just go read the Peter principle, it'll blow your mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're you're talking about the The decisions that are made and them not consulting you, yeah. uh, and that reminds me of my second deployment. So, we went we went down to Guatemala, and it was this weird thing where, like, we were working with the Navy and the Coast Guard and Southcom, hmm. and the planning for it. They were like, "Oh yeah, so and so is going to feed you," and then nah. they, they got back and they're like, "No, no, no, they're not going to feed you. Uh, the Navy's going to feed you. Uh, yeah. No, no, the Coast Guard's going to feed you." <laughs> so. We get down there and, uh, you know, day number one, we have breakfast. We have an MRE for lunch. We had MREs every day for lunch. And then uh, for dinner, we had chili corn and rice. And we're like, oh, this is pretty cool. Uh, Day two, same thing. We had chili corn and rice. We're like, oh, okay, leftovers. That's fine. (laughs) Day three, four, five, you know, we have something different. Um, But then like day six, we go back to chili corn and rice. And we're like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're circling back. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, like we were we were probably like 22 days into the deployment and now we're eating only chili corn and rice for dinner. Uh. And then by <laughs> by like day 35, they're out of breakfast and so now two meals a day are chili corn and rice
0: oh my because at God. the last
1: minute somebody said run over there and grab all those UGRs and so the non-supply Marines and and non-food service Marines went in and just grabbed from the same pile and Ah, all chili, (laughs) corn, and rice.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, is it just because they didn't plan to feed you? So they just had excess chili, corn, and rice or something? Because that's ridiculous. No, they, I mean, it it
1: literally came down to like the night before we left, they were like, hey, we need to grab these chows. And so, (laughs) you know, we're all like scrambling and jumping through hoops and I we thought it was like MREs, like you just yeah, you know, realistically, you're gonna grab a box A and a box
0: B and you're gonna be
1: fine, but like, nope, chili corn and rice Uh, for the whole deployment.
0: That's hilarious. Oh man, I bet your digestive tract hated you. Um, Like, our our detachment t shirts had chili corn and rice monsters. I mean, it was (laughs) it was ridiculous. Uh, that's amazing. Um, so what's the weirdest part about like I I'm trying I, we talked a little before we started recording and it's like it's got to be a bit of a culture shock to transition from the Marines to the Navy I'm probably understating that but like what's like how weird has it been how big of a shock has it been or like how how stark of an adjustment has has it been to go from and I know you haven't been to really to the fleet yet but like you've just basically completed the transition. And then now that's pending, but like, how, how has that been, man? So it's, it's, it's been kind
1: of, um, kind of difficult to like get rid of some of the biases that I had. Um, because like in the Marine Corps, like we were talking about before, like there's a look that Marines have and, you know, everybody's in shape and, you know, when you, when you've been doing this for so long, like you can kind of look at somebody and say, this is what I can expect out of this person. Yeah, and in the navy, that's not the case, right? Um, and so it's been really weird, kind of like wrapping my head around. Okay, this person looks different. Uh, like the uniform's different, the mindset's different. Like there, there's just so many like small things that I don't, I don't think people really understand until they're in it every yeah. day. Um, and then also probably like turning off that super, super critical eye, because it was my job to fix things. Like if yep. I see a mistake, I, you know, I'm going to hem somebody up and, right. and fix whatever it is. And now I need to say, okay, is this something where I need to spot correct? Or do I need to pull my chief aside or my yeah. first class or somebody and say, hey, look, I'm noticing this trend. Um, And, and I, I think it helped, or at least it's helping a little bit with the transition that, um, for the last two years, I have effectively been a mentor for a junior officer. So I, oh, okay, I had two second lieutenants. Um, they were both absolutely fantastic, and um, and so I was with them all the time. And so I'm like, okay, what did I expect him to tell me to fix, and what did I expect him to fix? You know, and so now yeah. I can kind of say like, okay, this is something I should fix now, versus. Right you know, something I should pull somebody aside and and talk about.
0: Yeah. That'll probably be super beneficial because there's definitely, even when it's a a Navy enlisted chief or whatever, going into the officer ranks without the service transition, it's still shutting that chief brain off where they want to like go fix everything themselves and light people on fire. And like, it's (laughs) like, you can't do that anymore. That's not your job. And like, you're going to get chiefs coming back at you like, Hey, sir, that's not your job anymore. You right. come to me, and I do that. Um, what's the so circling back to the because this is something I, I've I've always wanted to talk to somebody about why so like you mentioned like the stark difference in appearance and like I'll just say it out loud like military bearing professionalism uniform appearance like all those things there's a stark difference between what you what you. Like normally see in the Marine Corps and what you normally see on a Navy base. And it's like I don't I can't tell you outside of just like we've accepted a, a lower standard of uh, what we call good order and discipline um, and that uh, we've arrived at this place where and it got a lot worse during COVID where like we there was a haircut waiver and then there was PRT waivers and there's all this other crap and it's like walking around right now where you don't even have to wear masks on base anymore. And there's still people that are like just grossly out of standards and need a haircut. Yeah. And it's like, everybody just got desensitized to it because it was allowed. And then never, nobody wanted to make the correction now that it's not. And so it's just like, I don't know, man, like the, for whatever reason, I've always like pined for like this ID like pie in the sky idea of like, man, I wish the Navy could figure out how to do that. Um, and so like what do you like what what is that? Like what is in like in the water at Paris Island or whatever? Like how do you guys accomplish that? And then why do you think the Navy uh like doesn't? Like why do you think the cultures are so different?
1: So I think I I, I think a lot of it has to do with the roles. Um you know, I, I said earlier, it's like we're in a cult. Um, you know, we, we weren't <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid. We were being waterboarded with Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, you, you start off at boot camp and, uh, you know, at, at OCS, we had seven drill instructors and people were like, wow, there's so many. But like mm. at boot camp, I had 28 drill instructors Good in on. my company, you know, and so we had there three. Were you tr- we had, had three RDCs
0: <laughs> like it's, this was like 2002, but like <laughs> we had three and they were like always there, but there was only right. three. I mean, there was, you know, without the other divisions of people, there was uh, other RDCs. But I think our division, I mean, there was like 80 people and there was only three RDCs for that division. And then like obviously other people around. But like I can't believe you had that many. That's insanity. So I'm not sure how the divisions break up at navy boot camp but
1: for us each company had three to four platoons so i in 2008 we had three to four platoons in a lead series and a follow series so i was lead so that was the first four platoons in the company and then follow
0: series was three platoons and so how many people are like platoons and companies for us uninitiated i looked it up once, but I forgot already. So so boot boot camp is a little bit different. So um, we always say Marines
1: do everything in threes because that's the highest that we can count. Ah, So you have a fire team, (laughs) which is three people and a fire team Mm. leader, so four. And then each squad has three fire teams. A platoon is three squads. A battalion is four – or a company is three to four platoons. And then a battalion is four companies. Okay. So it's a little bit different in basic training, um, just because at that time that was the the height of the plus up. So we had, I think we started with 128 in my platoon, and there were six other platoons of roughly that many. So okay, um, you're you're talking several hundred people and What's 28 s- drill instructors.
0: So 28 drill instructors for everyone, or for, 28 for all for- of those people? Okay. So each Still. each platoon guys, had.
1: Yeah had three or so and then because they trained drill instructors on the east coast uh we were all, or because they have the drill instructor school over on the east coast we were also getting drill instructor students who would come over of course and so now you have like student <laughs> drill instructors but yeah you're going through boot camp so anybody walks over with a smoky bear cover and you're like oh okay <laughs> i you know yeah. you can't distinguish between you're students not and actual drill instructors oh,
0: okay i thought they had like in in Navy boot camp, there I'm assuming it's still the same that the students the had ropes. blue ropes, yeah, yeah. They had blue ones, and the RDCs had red ones. So it's just like when a blue rope would say something, it's like, okay, you're a chief, but you're not real, right? Like, you're, do you don't, no, do you even know what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, there's away. not that <laughs> distinction. Like when when somebody with the with okay. the funny cover comes over, mm-hmm. you're like, all right, like yeah. I'm about to die. Yeah, um, it makes more sense that there wouldn't be a distinction because. Then, you know, then you don't have that reaction like, oh, you're just a blue rope, even though right. like you're so terrified in boot camp, you're going to listen to anybody that's got rank. But right. And, and by yeah. the end, we could start to tell, um, you know, because who's who. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, you know, you you know that you haven't seen this person around platoons and all of a sudden six people show up to your company and. And mm. you're like, oh, okay. Y'all must have just graduated. Yeah. Um, you know, cause when they just graduate, they're going, they're going super hard, but you're like, dude, I'm in, fir- in third phase. Like I graduate in two weeks. I don't, yeah. you know, like at Calm that point, down. yeah, like you're dropping your pack. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, salty now. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, so, you know, you just get beat every day. And so like yeah. there's
0: it's drilled into you from the very beginning. Um, Like how though? Like, I feel like there's something unique going on. So I, I think a lot of
1: it has to do with the training and the attention Mm -hmm. to things. Um, and you know, so having gone through OCS, um, and then also my background with PME, Mm -hmm. um, there's a, the, the original drill manual called the blue book. Um, Von Steuben back in the 1700s said the first, most important things that you need to teach somebody is how to put on their clothes and how to walk well yeah. the first thing that you learn at boot camp is how to march and there is yeah. so much pride taken in your ability to march and do rifle manual and do all of that stuff and so okay. you know it becomes it becomes me versus you and I can't tell you how many times like if you go on YouTube and you look up like recruits battle with drill man drill right, rifle manual or something like that like you know you're in the squad bay next to me and my drill instructor would bring me over to your house and we would do drill in front of you you know like um to like show off yeah it's like uh drum line oh so we would like walk out in front and then you know like we're battling each other like stomp the yard (laughs) yeah um and so that's that's like a huge point of pride and
0: yeah. you know every every company and every battalion is known for its own thing. Yeah. Uh we used so to like, punk the air force and the army all the time when I was on a it was an army post but it was sort of joint like um where we had a bunch of like all the services, schoolhouses and uh the air force for some reason their wing commander told them they weren't allowed to do cadence anymore and the air force that's weird. At least the Air Force that I was with, they their marching was it was a little like quirky as far as like their facing movements were really weird and exaggerated. But but in their defense, good God, did they look sharp when they did it? Like their marching was pristine, but they couldn't do cadence. And so like we could march pretty good. But like all my A school students, but like our cadence, like I would I would we had a smaller population than the Air Force and the Army by far. And we would go by these huge columns of of soldiers. And we'd have like, you know, like probably um, it was less than 100 students in the call. Well, no, you probably have a, a, a little over 100 students. But the Army, I mean, they'd be walking down the street with like 250. Like it was like a huge column of like of soldiers. And they were terrible at marching, but their cadence was like pretty decent like they had uh NCOs doing the cadence and we had students calling cadence but I was like me or another NCOs walking with them and I'd like freak out and be screaming at the students be like if I hear one of these soldiers I swear to god like <laughs> and so we would just punk them all the time and then I'd look at the the NCO walking with them and they would just shake their head and I was just like yep yep and then like when we would get back to the barracks the uh the air force would be doing um I think they called it final form there's like 500 airmen out here on this concrete pad Jeez. and we would roll up with our like 120 students and like the NCO would be trying to talk and we would just punk them and like do the sailors creed and like <laughs> do a bunch of other stuff just to drown them out on purpose. And then I'd go over there and mess with them. Cause I was friends with all the MTLs and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. That was, it was good times like but so similar but not you know like it we didn't do that uh like in boot camp at all um, yeah we it sucked at marching <laughs> it,
1: it was something like everybody everybody had their things so yeah um and, and even i mean my when my wife went through you know even the female companies like some companies were known for like beauty standards some were known for their marching some were known for pt um like I think it was first battalion, um, or no, no second battalion was like really good at marching. So the the saying used to be first makes men, second makes marines, third makes machines. So like first battalion had like really good mentorship and stuff like that, and then second mm. battalion was like good at like marching, and then third battalion we were out in the out in the woods, and um, so they used to just beat us. All the time, you know, yeah. like when you have family day and the other two battalions can't do anything, they would be like, All right, guys, it's time to go home and you're gonna die. You yeah. know, make sure you're drinking water. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my my uh battalion was known for for PT studs, like we had yeah. like the best PT um scores out of the entire
0: regiment. So, um, so, like, I guess, so do you think it's just that there's across the services like we're doing similar things but you guys kind of like take it to an extreme yeah i i think because because the marine corps is so small and Mm -hmm.
1: realistically i mean you know the navy and the army are basically guaranteed by the constitution yeah um we have an air force we have a marine corps but like the marine corps has been on the chopping block several
0: times so you know it's
1: There's like a
0: fight for the existence. Man, Um, every time I hear that, I'm like ready to storm the Capitol. Like, (laughs) I, dude, if I was the president, like the Marines, I would put, I would like propose a constitutional amendment to like embed the Marine Corps in the fabric of our identity. Like, it's just one of those things that it's like when you experience it, like when you meet Marines and when you like even do a little bit of research on their history and like some of the things like f- foreign adversaries have said about Marines mm-hmm. in like when they were facing that. It's like, dude, I would replace the army with the Marine Corps. Yeah, I said it like, <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be, dude, they're like, I would use them for everything. Like they would be uh, like, like, my f- like favorite toy. If I was ever like in charge of the country, I just like, I don't, it's a national treasure, man. I, the, I've i heard that a few times and it's like, it's like the most brain dead thing I've ever heard about. Like, wh- I, I just don't understand why, like, why would you do that? And, and um, I think a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with like what we're doing, how
1: we're being utilized. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know if you've read uh, force design 2030
0: or followed a lot of the stuff that general Berger is, is trying to push through. But no, I've read a couple articles about some of the stuff he's trying to do, but not like the actual policy documents.
1: So he's, he's trying to, to change the Marine Corps to make it smaller, to, to make it more lethal. And there's a lot of pushback. Um, a lot of retirees, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of retired general officers and stuff like that. And the thing is like, we, we talk about how the Marine Corps adapts and overcomes and is so good at this, but he's trying to overcome things and, and, and like ad- adapt the Marine Corps to make it more lethal. And people are just railing against it. And,
0: you know, do what I agree are, with everything? Not necessarily, but yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just say, what are some of the things that are what are like some of the hot button issues, like some of the things he's trying to change? that so, he's saying is going to make it better that people are freaking out about. So over the last couple of years, um, they got rid of tanks.
1: Yeah. I saw that. I thought severely that
0: severely reduced, um, like
1: LAVs and stuff like that. Okay. Um, now there are other things in the works, but when you think about it, you know, if, if the Marine Corps is supposed to go in and be those shock troops and, you know, like, take an area for a specific amount of time and turn it over to the army yeah why do we need all of the toys you know like because then look at look at muse you know if i'm taking x number of tanks that's fewer people that i can take or less gear that i can take um or now when i'm trying to go ship to shore and i'm taking a tank well that's fewer people that i can take because you know trying to take tanks ashore so like, I understand the the shock factor of staring down the barrel of a tank. Um, you know, the, the pucker factor is real right. at that point in time. Um, but when we when we utilize those capabilities, what else are we giving up?
0: So is it really just more like a refocusing on like the amphibious? Yeah. Type mission set and and getting away from things that are viewed as like redundant with the functions of the army and stuff? Yeah, it's it's getting
1: getting back to like the littoral roots. Yeah. um, Is is the main thing.
0: And okay. Um,
1: you know, my my old platoon is is doing the experimental infantry battalion where they're actually taking enablers from like other areas and they're trying to figure out, okay, how can we make these battalions more lethal? You know, how can we give them different assets and resources? So now instead of you know, you coming to my battalion and saying, "Hey, can you provide me this capability?" Now you've got the capability within your platoon, yeah, and you can leverage it at the tactical level. So now, like, it, it's just it's just a change in trying to streamline things, and and that's what a lot of people are railing against. But I think that it's it's one of those things where you kind of have to see where it goes, yeah. Um, because I I don't think that it's going to be a bad thing. I think that. People are just averse to change. Yeah. And, you know, maybe if I was 25 years as a tanker and they said, hey, we're getting rid of tanks, you either need to find a new job or retrain to something else, I'd probably be a little salty too. Right. Um, But that doesn't mean that he's wrong. You know, that just means that I'm salty that I have to change now.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, That's interesting. I'm going to have to look more into that because I'm curious about like... I mean it's like we don't have to go down the rabbit hole here but like I'm curious about like the some of the proposed changes and why and whatever but what um as for let's get into some of the leadership stuff cuz it's I'm I'm very curious about uh, like I've I've had on um people that have detailed like a little bit of it and then I've I've done my own like reading and talked to some few, a few people that are in other services And then experienced it quite a bit when I was an instructor on an army base, so I experienced all the different services and kind of how the NCOs interacted and, um, like how they led. Um, And I, what I kind of came to understand and like, it 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 shined a light on a lot of what I think are the flaws about how like chiefs do business and how the warden does business in the navy. Um, But what I kind of came to realize was that. I think there's a lot of things other services do a lot better uh, in the at like NCO and even officer to a certain extent, but more NCO junior enlisted relations like where it's there's not as huge of a separation, it seems like. So like what's the and I, I know your experience on the Navy side is limited, but like what are what's some of the contrasts like for you when looking at like you've been the NCO in those positions, leading those Marines. And then now you're kind of getting exposed to how the Navy does it. Like, what are, what do you recognize some of the issues or are you still like adapting and kind of reading the room or, or like, how do you feel about that so far?
1: Well, so I, I think that, um, some of the differences are where we look at becoming a leader. So, Mm -hmm. um, as Marines, um you know i've seen lance corporals e3s go out and lead patrols um, right crew chiefs e4s like and and i don't think this is standard across the branches like if you're a crew chief on an aircraft you get basic flight training so like you understand how to land your aircraft and you know like god forbid you know the pilot and the um Uh, the co-pilot or NF uh, Marine Corps doesn't call them NFOs, but you know, like the the equivalent get taken out, you know, it's not like, well, I guess we're all dead. You know, like there are specific um, roles that people can take as leaders. um, And and we start that really down as E3. Um, And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a jump from E3 to E4 where now, As an E4, you, or as a corporal, you are a non commissioned officer and you are treated as such. Right. Um, And so you're expected to be a fire team leader or even possibly a squad leader. So you're in charge of like those three to 12 people. Um, And then once you're a sergeant, like that, like you are the technical expert in a platoon. Like that is the most knowledge that you're going to have with the hands on time. And you're responsible for training people. Like as as a sergeant, I was a platoon sergeant with um, up to 45 people under me. And I was writing training plans. I was requesting um, various fields so that we could go out and do training exercises, Mm -hmm. um, being a range safety officer. And then once you're a staff sergeant, you know, like now you're a staff NCO and, um, you know, it's kind of like – it's kind of like the the power that power is not the right word but like the authority that you're granted as a chief
0: yeah you get it as an e6 that's what i was just thinking is like it sounds to me like what like the way the structure you're describing sounds to me like how it generally happens or like kind of how it naturally unfolds like at least in like e4s on on as far as i can tell in the navy are like sometimes they're put in positions of authority but most of the time they're not like right. they maybe maybe like on submarines we'll see them put in on watch stations that are are pretty important as e4s but they're not put in charge of people really in, unless their position in that on that watch station uh has them in charge of a watch team somehow or something but generally they're not leading people but they they could and i think a lot of e4s at like that stick around for like they you know they like 3 years in they're they're very like they're qualified they're they're experienced they they have a good level of knowledge technically they're equipped to do it and they get salty about not being trusted with anything right and then as an e5 like they tell chiefs oh you're the subject matter expert you're this you're that and it's like for me in my experience e5s are peaking like they are at the absolute apex of their technical knowledge and 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 like yeah the chief can rely on experience and and does have a high level of knowledge but to say that i'm always a technical expert like i relied a lot on my e5s to to kind of like hey how do we do this hey how do we do that or whatever as far as like because i went from like platform to platform and stuff like that so then their experience was they knew everything about that submarine. They knew where everything was, they knew how it operated. They knew you had to like jiggle the handle on this thing. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like they are just at the absolute apex of level of knowledge for the exact thing and mission set and, uh, and whatever that we're doing. And on submarines, like you might, you could be an LPO as a second class, but it's not common. And you're like, maybe they trust you with a little bit of leadership, but usually it's first classes. And then, you know, I mean, it's weird that it's not pushed further down. And I think it like if no, if for, you know, no other myriad of reasons I'm sure we could come up with, it would be a great retention tool because I feel like those people are are ready, willing and able to be trusted to do those things and when they're not, when they're treated like their children, it pisses them off. And then, like, yeah. I can trust a an E4 that's been on a submarine for three years and is qualified quartermaster to be responsible, effectively responsible for safety of ship as far as, like, where the submarine is, how deep is the water, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're effectively navigating the submarine and they're responsible for the safety of the submarine in a lot of ways. I can trust them with that but I can't trust them with like leading six people. (laughs) Like really? Like when to show up, when to work out. (laughs) Right. It's like, as soon as they get relieved as quartermaster, Yeah. They're treated like infants. Like go sweep the floor. Like you have to do this at this time. And like, you can't be trusted to, you know, like, I don't know, do really basic things all of a sudden. And it's insane. Like it doesn't make any sense. And those sailors get like, they resent that and they get, really really sick of being treated like their children and then we lose talent Mm -hmm. yeah and 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 one thing that's that's always like i i just don't
1: understand it is when you have this mentality and like i'm gonna treat you like a child when Mm -hmm. you act like a child why am i surprised right you know but if i give you the opportunity (laughs) to act like an adult and you act like an adult i'm like yeah see
0: i told you this is what you could
1: do this whole time I
0: discovered via not so. I my first chief's tour. um, I kept getting told, "Hey, you need to just train your guys like that." Because I was, I was trying to do everything because I didn't have any fleet returnees; they were all babies. I didn't have anybody uh, when it first started. I mean, I I had all seamen, and I think one kid put on E four like it was like a push button thing from an award he got in A school. They were all babies; like none of them knew knew anything. So then, um. I started training them and I got to this point where like I had no fleet returnees. One kid ended up making second, but he was like a kid that didn't want to lead anybody anywhere. He just wanted to cook really good food. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. Just cook good <laughs> food. And then I had a seaman that was the kid I gave the work list to. We called him my leading seaman. And mm-hmm. he, I gave him the work list and that kid got stuff done, man. Like he and the division listened to him. And so it's just like, he was in charge of my division. And I remember having a conversation, even with uh, my department chief, about um, they wanted me to put LPO at C on the second class's eval. I'm like, he doesn't lead anybody anywhere. Like he doesn't do anything. I am not putting that on his eval. I got like this argument with him about like, well, you're stealing an important eval bullet from this kid. I'm like, I'm not stealing anything. Like he got promoted in rank, but he's not. He has no responsibility. Like he has the same responsibility as my E3s. Like he just. He cooks and cleans and then goes and works out and goes to the rack. That's it. That's all he does. That's all he wants to do. He's very good at it, but he does not, he's not in charge of anybody. And so like, yeah, it's, it's interesting because like that group of people, I trained them up and I trusted them with things and they did it and they killed it and they were amazing. Um, and then I it was funny cause I sent them to a school after a bunch of deplo- like this deployment cycle where we we're gone all the time. Um, and they went to school with a bunch of like other submarine cooks and a bunch of surface cooks. And they were even the kids that I had that were like my problem children. even the ki- one kid that was like my just he was a rock. He was running circles around all these kids because I kept telling my guys, I'm like, you're not normal. Like, I have trained you in a different type of way. And you guys are so far beyond the types of cooks that you would you would encounter on other submarines, never mind surface ships. And so they went to the school. They never believed me, but they went to the school and they're like, you were right. Like we're unicorns. <laughs> and I was just like, they were like, we were teaching the class. Like we were running around, like doing everything for everyone and like cleaning and like the, the, instructor didn't know what to do with us. It was hilarious. And I was like, I told you like you guys are built different. And I did that because I treated you differently than you would have been treated on another submarine. So who knows how how different you would have been as a result but like i just treated them like grown-ups and i trusted them with a lot because i had to you know what i mean and yeah like, shockingly they rose to the occasion so yeah it, it, it absolutely drives me insane and then like exactly what you said about like i i treat them like children and then i'm shocked when they act like children and it's just like <laughs> what like and don't get me wrong like i've seen and heard i've seen a lot of videos and memes about like marines at the barracks like acting crazy so it's like you and, know, and like there's and here's
1: just for just for some context
0: <laughs> i married my a school
1: sweetheart at yeah. the smoke pit so that she could nice. get orders so like sometimes sometimes, sometimes we it works all out. do stupid <laughs>
0: things you're the reason why we have this netflix movie you <laughs> you are this is your fault why we <laughs>
1: so you know so so Uh, you can come back from that so for any listeners who are like you know what hopefully i can come back you can come back from some of these things
0: oh my god that's hilarious you
1: you know like people people do these things but if you trust them like Mm -hmm. my my last platoon um so we were we're doing um the first large-scale post-covid service-directed exercise out of bridgeport uh bridgeport california and um And I, you know, we, we told the regimental commander, me and my lieutenant, we were like, yeah, you know, we're going to send out these three guys, Uh, this Lance Corporal's in charge. And they were like, the the Lance Corporal's in charge? And we're like, trust us, he's in charge. And nothing against the corporals, you know, like it was... The way it worked out is um, you know, the two corporals were basically CTRs and so yeah. they had faster promotions than the CTI. Right, right. But like the CTI had been in longer, he was a little older, we were
0: like, trust us. Yeah. Lance Corporal. And then at the end. E3? E3, yeah. Okay. I was I was pretty sure I knew, but it's been a, it's been a minute since I've been around Marines on a regular basis.
1: And so, you know, at the end, the colonel was like, you know, you sent this guy out to us saying that he was gonna be the leader. And he's incredible. And, you know, the colonel gave him a NAM, like a spot nice. NAM that we wrote up on a flip book and, you know, presented yeah. a NAM
0: to this guy. That's super um, rare in the Marine Corps, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Like, because I know in the Navy, it's like a, the NAM cannon goes off all the time. But, like, for Marines, I feel like it's pretty rare so for that I kind had, of thing to happen. I got
1: one NAM and one NAVCOM in 14 years. And then while I was wow. at OCS, a second NAVCOM populated. So my company had put me in for a nam, and it got upgraded afterwards. Okay, yeah. Um, Good Lord. You know, I mean, it it depends on your job though. Like in my job, you didn't necessarily get that much. Yeah. Um, But then you see like, again, no shade at other jobs, but I (laughs) do know. Like admin
0: guys or something? I
1: do know some admin Lance Corporals ah, who were walking around with two. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, I, I get it. You've got a bunch of collaterals but and and this is where as leaders we should do a better job yeah the reason that this lance corporal admin has two nams is because that lance corporal is going in front of the battalion commander every day you know they've got more visibility than everybody else
0: that's common i feel like like i knew a lot of um a lot of cs's that worked in the enlisted aid community they like a bunch of like first classes had comms and i'm Mm -hmm. just like what like i i I didn't get one until the end of my first chiefs tour and it was just (laughs) like and even then i didn't expect to get one i was like pretty shocked by it um i'd seen deployments happen where chiefs were getting nams so i'm just like i like i but i met a bunch of those white house dudes and like Yeah, it's when you get FaceTime with an admiral or like or like flag writer admin Mm -hmm. people that are like the admiral's right hand. It's like, yeah, they're going to give you a comm, which I think is completely ridiculous. But uh, like, I don't know, it just basing awards on anything other than merit blows my mind. I don't understand why the evaluation criteria is not just case by case based on merit. You know what I mean? I, like, I, So I, I have a theory and, you know,
1: maybe maybe as I advance to the wardroom, I'll be able to prove mm. or disprove this. But it seems like so many people think that for every award they give out, their mm. pay is going to be docked. Like um, somehow it's going to affect
0: them. And I mean, like, there's what's weird about it. What gets convoluted is so there's an, there's an awards manual for the right. Navy, right? And it says a lot of things that are directly contradictory to actual everyday practice, like don't award awards based on rank. But right. then you'll go read like a command instruction that has a, f- a table that says E8s get this when they PCS and E9s right. get. Yeah, you know I mean, and so it's just like it it it's it gets put into practice in a way is the eval system is the same way like you read the eval manual and there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're just like that's not true but it is like that that's how it's supposed to be but that's not the way it gets put into practice in in real life so it's like there's a whole different rule set in practice that is is this convoluted weird twisted system because you get like so you if you deploy to an area, right? So like you, you, I, I'll i be at home and I work for one admiral. But then if we deploy to like Seventh Fleet, we work for a different admiral and they all have these like weird quotas like this mm-hmm. admiral is only allowing us to award three chiefs a comm every year. I'm like, well, what if a bunch of chiefs do a bunch of cool? Like, what if they merit that level of an award? And he's like, doesn't right. matter. The admiral said blah. But then if you go back, then like, well, that admiral will award so many of those two. So then you can like double dip. And it's like so that you start working within this insane convoluted contrary to the instruction system. And you're trying to like navigate it at the unit level to get people the right level of award. But then I've sat in award boards where they're just like like everybody's getting a NAM just for doing the deployment. And I'm Mm -hmm. not saying they didn't work hard. But if they didn't do anything notable that merits an award, you know what I mean? Like, what are we? What, You're watering what are we talking down about? the award. Like, if yeah. everybody's work rates a nam, right? What does a nam
1: mean at Nothing. that
0: point? Yeah, it's and it, it's they get looked at by junior enlisted sailors in my experience as exam points. Like, they want to get awards just so that they can apply them to their advancement exam. Yeah, so it's not even having the the designed effect of rewarding unusually uh, good performance and the reason why there's points for an advancement exam is so that The people that we award awards to will stand out if if like they have the same promotion rating on an eval like those awards will hopefully get them across the finish line if they do well in the exam over somebody that wasn't recognized for their unusual meritorious performance. But that's not the way it's getting applied in practice. Like we'll get home from a deployment and just for breathing the whole time, they're just shooting the nam cannon at everybody. And I've even sat in awards boards where they're like looking at they have a spreadsheet up. And they're looking at how long has it been since this dude's gotten an award? He's due. I'm like, he's due. What do you mean he's due? It's not a library book. Like there, you, you, this isn't like a thing where it's like I've gotten arguments with CMCs about um, like whose turn it was to be Sailor of the Quarter. And I'm like, I'm going to put my hands on you. Yeah. That's not how this works. And I, I've had to justify the decision to not submit anyone for Sailor Quarter when I was an SEL. At a learning site uh, because it was like, unless you want this to be a revolving door where it's just turn based, like if I don't have anybody that merits recognition, you're not going to get a package from me. And that's the case this quarter. And he goes like he was basically shocked that I said that. And I'm like, look, I'm honest with this, man. Like when there's people here that are doing performance that merits recognition you're going to hear from me and i'm going to be vocal and i'm going to stand on your desk until i get the level of recognition that the sailor deserves but when there's nobody standing out or like like at the commandment now they were they gave a guy sailor the quarter twice in one year like one fiscal year which i'm pretty sure is contrary to instruction but even if it's not it's kind of ridiculous like sort of but and, and also, I mean, I'm kind if, of OK with it, like, like in, in another person is I don't know. operating at that level. I'm good with it. Yeah, but I'm kind that, of good with it because like they could win it every quarter if they're really that person every quarter. Yeah. But then but like you sometimes them up just
1: because they just because they're last the last time.
0: Yeah. Like because that's what happened. happened here was it was like he was the only person that was like even remotely good. But it's like he didn't do anything extraordinary that quarter. Right. So it's like, well, then what do we, why? Just because he's the, the guy that we like, like, no, it, that's not how this is supposed to work. Right. So like, yeah, I mean, the award system at, like, I had to, when I was on that army post, I had to tell a couple of different army officers. They kept trying to give my instructors army achievement medals just for breathing. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, no, I don't. I know you guys keep these things in your pockets and throw them at people like they're cracker jack toys, but like, no, I, I would routinely they'd be like, hey, can you send us a citation for this instructor for an army achievement medal I'm like for doing what? I'm like, they help you carry some paper into the building. I'm like, no, I'm like no, I'm not. doing. Yeah. That's not a real example. But I'm just saying it was like silly stuff that didn't make any sense. And I'm like, well, no, that's like-, like shut that off. Like you are not awarding that person a, a, a medal for like just <laughs> existing, just showing up like no, it's ridiculous
1: it's like on yeah. my on my first deployment we had uh, we had a mail clerk who got a nam for moving you know 9 million pounds of mail with a forklift <laughs> and i was like but we have people who were like out here doing really awesome thing and not not yeah. not undercutting mail because that is morale when right. you you know when you're right. in the desert but like you know we had people out here who were doing things above and beyond but like the command would just pick people And so I I didn't know it at that point. And so like on my third deployment, so it was nine months long. We were out there. we had been out there for about 20 days. And one of the Marines on the other shift was like, Hey, congratulations on your name. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, Oh, I found this document that has the names of all the people who are going to get awards.
0: And I was like,
1: we're one month into the deployment. Yeah. How do you know who's going (laughs) to, you know? And so then like, I tried to write up one of my, one of my Marines, one of my analysts. Yeah. And they were like, well, no, we, we can't give out anymore. And I was like, you literally fired a team leader, but because you decided eight months ago, he was going to get an award. You still get like, so you fired him. And then a month later gave him an award (laughs) for being a team leader. Like what is,
0: what are you doing? Insanity, man. Like I, I don't I'll never understand it. And like and it's counterproductive and just completely undercuts any positive influence that the award system could have. And I do believe it could have that. Like it could have a really positive effect for a lot of people um, that are like externally motivated by stuff like that. Uh, And it's just. It's just a joke like it and it's the the uneven way like way that it's applied to just creates animosity because like i've my entire career I've had conversations like really dumb conversations with smart people about like stuff, like, oh well you want me to give get a Nam for get making cookies? you want a Nam for making lunch? and I'm like, no dude, like I'm not asking for my entire division to get a Nam, I am acknowledging like extraordinary performance that you idiots all said all deployment long was extraordinary. So it's like, and I don't want a nuke mechanic or an a ganger to not get a NAM for extraordinary performance, but I also don't want people who just mouth breathe their way through the whole deployment and just did the bare minimum required to not go to NJP to get an award either. And, And I have never advocated for, more than like two of my dudes at, to to get a nam for deployment ever. Um, but you have to like push back against like idiotic outlooks like the mail guy. Like if the mail guy was like just killing it and like going out of his way to do extra things to get you your mail faster and like providing a service to pick your mail up and make it easier on you and like automating. Yeah, you know I mean, like if, if yeah. the dude was just like, MacGyvering processes to make the the Marines' experience with that so much better and adding to the morale of the whole battalion or regiment or whatever, then sure, yeah, I'm, I'm with it. Give him a nam or doing some other tertiary responsibility because maybe mail's not that demanding. I don't know, but like, I, and so he like picked up some collateral that was really valuable and like took a load off of some other Marines, but like. If it's not that and they're just punching the clock, then, like, yeah, why are they getting a NAM? You know what I mean? And, like, I think you that's the type of whatever the metric is, like, whatever we're saying is the standard for every MOS or rate or whatever. If they're performing at an extraordinary level, they should get recognized for it. I don't care if they did an extraordinary job making lunch or they did an extraordinary job repairing Humvees or they did a, you know what I mean? And like, yes, combat is a whole different thing. That's why we have combat awards. <laughs> like I'm not, there. are There are dudes and, and women doing things that are, I think, are a totally different category. And I think we have awards for that. Like you have uh, Valor devices that you can put on awards, but you also have like awards that can only be awarded when you're getting shot at. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, yeah, and, I think and that's the, one thing like so
1: I, I had a conversation with uh with one of my reporting seniors one time who was, yeah. you know, doing that with awards and with fitness reports. And I was like, you know, you said that we're not going to get these awards or we're not going to get certain. Um, cause the fit rep system is very different than it is in the Navy, but like, we're never going to be in your top, but you have to judge me based on my job. Right. Your last job with Marsoc was super sexy and those guys did this really awesome job. But you have to evaluate them at their ability to do their job. And now you're evaluating me on my ability to do my job, not my ability to do their job. Like,
0: right, right, dude, that like what's even more interesting is so on submarines, it's like, yeah, we all have different primary duties. But a lot of us, especially when you're in the chief's mess, a lot of us are doing the same kinds of things, Um and so when we're stacked against each other, yes, your primary duty factors in in the same type of way. But like a a big part of how you're evaluated is like, are you qualified this? Are you standing this watch? Are you doing a collateral duty? Are you doing all these other things, right? That's how like how I'm compared to my peers. I've two different two different times in my career when I've been at, at like a non cs command, like I was at CSA school. I was at a base galley. So like those are cs commands. I'm gonna do well there if I'm doing my job really well and doing all the other things too. but like, It's easy for me to compete with my like people that are doing what I do. But then on a submarine, you're you're competing against all these other jobs. And so I've arguably one time and objectively the second time been robbed of an EP that I earned because I'm a cook. And that's the only reason it happened. Like one time was arguable because I wasn't like I was trying to qualify a senior supervisory watch station and they wouldn't allow me to do it. I I did everything I could. Like, I mean, I did all the knowledge stuff I could and I needed to like sit in a chair and get practical factors, which is like a, you know, you do a thing in real life and then they sign it off. Um, and they wouldn't let me sit in the chair. Cause they're like, well, you're never going to stand it and you're a cook and you don't need to do that. And we don't want you up there and whatever. And, but it, but it's part of like the thing that I get evaluated on for rankings. So I'm like, well, like you're telling me, well, you're not qualified dive, so you can't get an EP. Well, like you won't let me qualify dive. But then on my second boat uh, as a chief, I was qualified and standing dive in section. I was like, I had all of the heavy hitting collateral duties. I was filling in for the cob, which is like the command master chief. I was doing like the battle stations drill stuff. I was a department chief. I all. The, I mean, objectively on paper, I was clearly an EP and. I a, a buddy of mine who I love to death, and he's a great dude that I'm. I'm really glad he promoted as well. Like he's a master chief now, but we were senior chiefs together, and it was like he would only been on board eight months, and all he was doing was his job and the watch bill coordinator thing, and that was it. And it's like it, he didn't earn an EP, and I did. But I went into my eval debrief almost expecting it because I'd been conditioned my whole career to just know it was coming because I'm the cook chief. And it's like, man, like, why? I don't like I get it. And the really disgusting fact of it is that in my head at the eval debrief, I was I was like weighing my options. I like walked in, looked at him like, ah, of course, it's an MP. And I'm like, I already know what happened. And I'm like, so one should I make a scene? I'm like, what happens if I make a scene or like refuse to sign it or whatever? I'm like, nothing happens except my, my work environment becomes hostile. I'm like, I'm not, nothing's going to change. And all it's going to do is make them mad and kind of give them an excuse for it. And then the other thing that I was sitting there thinking about was like, when I'm at a, because I know this happens to all my peers as well the eval that I did get outside of the promotion rating, not being an EP was, it was a really good eval. It was, I wrote it. I mean, they didn't change much. Cause I freaking wrote the Cobbs eval. Like that's the, I like <laughs> I was the one that screened everybody else's evals. So it was like, I knew the way that my eval would be viewed at, at, at a, at a board to, to make master chief would be effectively a number one EP eval because there's no other cook cheese on any other submarines getting EPs either. Generally, I mean, it it's probably happened once or twice ever, but like it doesn't happen. So the people I'm competing against at the board, I'm I win even with this eval. And so like there's this part of me that was just like, like it matters, but it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like and it's gross because it's like the system's so broken and unfair and just like. I, that I'm just like, it doesn't, it's not actually going to affect me because in a weird way, it's being applied uniformly in this case. So it's not going to hurt me, but it was just, it was just objectively BS. Like even people that didn't like me would say I should have been an EP. And it's like, that's how the system gets applied in, in cases like that. And it, the particular case that at least that I'm aware of because it's, it's happened to me so often. And I'm intimately familiar with my community as cooks. Like, I don't know if it's the same on the surface side, but on submarines, you're not, I mean, I might know one dude that got an EP on a submarine as a chief, as a cook. Like, I think I probably know one guy. Um, and it just never happens. Even if they, if, if you like stripped the, all the identifying information at the top of the evals off, like, And then handed those evals to like a a hundred CMCs. They would all say that eval should be an EP. And then you'd be like, pull the rating tape thing. Oh, never mind, It's a cook. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know. I I guess they would know based on the primary duty bullet, but. Yeah, I I, I had that happen with with one
1: uh, one of my RSs uh, with a different one. Um, And she was an administrator and she was like, yeah, you know, this person is, uh, you know, you're, you're my number three person out of like six, I think, that she had rated. And I was like, how come I'm not your number one? And she's like, well, you know, this person was really good at their job. And I was like, yeah, they went to school for their job. They went to a secondary school for their job. And they've been doing it for 12 years. Then right. you have me, who I don't have a college degree. I'm writing curriculum that we're actively getting accredited right now. Yeah. For thousands of people and having a much higher impact. And you're saying that this person who is just doing their job that they've been trained for is better than the person who's doing a job they haven't been trained for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and not not to say that I'm the best thing, you know, best right, thing right. since sliced bread, but like, come on, like you went yeah. to school for this and you're able to do it and you're impacting the seven people who are around you, right? Whereas what we're doing is impacting six thousand people every single year, right? For you know three years
0: until there's a CRB, you know, like so. yeah, yeah. It's, no, it drives me nuts, and it's like it's a it's a leadership function too, because that's what's frustrating is that like I don't like i i guess i just don't understand leadership's motivation to do it the way that they do outside of just like human nature like type flaws um where they just want the people that they like or the people that like whose job they think they think is the most valuable right. because like you know what i mean like it, i understand why certain people um they want to like rank them higher or or whatever um, based on how they view the impact of their job. And it's like, I also understand sort of like, e- even though I obviously don't agree, like how people discount the contributions that like logistics or admin or cooks make, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's like, okay, like leave us behind, like one time and let me know how things go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so yeah, like I've, I've done a lot with comms and <laughs> chili yeah, corn when and rice. Like when you have
1: comms, it's uh it's an issue.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, I I'm I understand kind of, even though I don't agree with it. But like don't like fire all the admin people and let me know how your pay and leave yeah. and all this. Thing. Yeah, I mean, like, and I'm not saying like, don't measure that that them all by that either, right? Like, measure them by their performance in that job. Like, right? Admin function is really important. If they're doing because if a you're doing job, very well, don't give them an award. But like, <laughs> like your CGRI,
1: you're you're coming out with no hits. You're doing very yeah. well. Like, that's a very good administrator. Like, absolutely yeah. recognize that person. Yeah. Um. You know, but if. If you're taking hits and, you know, you're not doing very well, then perhaps maybe they aren't your number one, <laughs> you know, like yeah. maybe, maybe the people who are doing above and beyond are, you know, higher rated. And, and I think there's in, in, her, in her case, it was also her first staff sergeant, you know, so like now as an officer, people are like, yeah, you're going to remember your first chief and yeah. you're going to be, yeah. you know, connected to them forever. And so I wonder if that's kind of what it was like her first staff sergeant and so it's like you know you get molded yeah 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 and and good or bad because if your first if your first staff nco or chief is a turd yeah (laughs) you might be a turd you know yeah yeah. um but it you know it takes it takes a couple people for you to realize like oh maybe that first one wasn't very good or maybe the first one really was that good and now right
0: now it's super apparent down the road right so we kind of went down the rabbit hole on a couple of things but like what are some of the other ways because i'm i've i've been really curious about like the what the marine corps nco like i don't know like functionality like what they're what the community does better uh than we do or what you think that they just do really really well that um that like the it it kind of is in contrast to how the navy does it because like some of the stuff i kind of mentioned earlier like the the weird divide that exists Mm -hmm. um, between like E seven and above and E six and below in the Navy, it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to exist in the Marine Corps. And like I talked to a junior uh, FMF corpsman that talked about like how the junior guys were supposed to eat first and the NCOs would break their foot off if they saw a senior guy eating before the junior guys did. And to me that makes perfect sense. But for whatever reason, the Navy has this weird backwards, uh, like privilege-based uh outlook on it where like on submarines my entire career there was this expectation that you would uh contact the chief's mess five minutes early and invite them to chow early and they get head of the line privileges during the meal and i'm just like what like doesn't make any sense and there's this weird like they get preferred parking and they get all this other crap and it's just like that's that's backwards to me um, so, so like, so you get, what, you get a lot it. of people that,
1: that have that mentality that, you know, rank has its privileges and, yeah. um, but one of the things that kind of blew my mind, I, w- I was reading a comment on Reddit a couple months ago and people were talking about officers and chiefs eating in the mess and like coming from a ground-based job field, like mm. we ate with our officers and with our junior yeah. Marines. and And like you were saying, like, the junior Marines ate first all the time. Um, you know, like we always gave them front of line privileges. Cause if we run out of food, like I'll figure it out,
0: you know, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll be fine.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, I'll I'll be hungry, but like, whatever, I'm going to let you guys go. And that's something that I wish was universal. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, and, and you know, within my section you know i can try to instill that stuff but mm-hmm. it's not gonna i it's gonna take a long time for that to be like a culture shift across the navy i think yeah um, but I,
0: I guess what i'm what i'm getting at is like why do you think they're even why, why do you think the the cultures are so different like why do we need a culture shift why are we so upside down and like what is it about the way the marines do it that like They've got it. Yeah. And I think the army does it that way. And I'm not sure about the air force, but like, it just seems like you guys in particular, like you just do it differently in a lot of ways where I think that the leadership function is, is it's wired correctly, even though I'm sure it has faults, you know what I mean? Where for us, it just seems like we live in the upside down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, and I wish
1: I could put my thumb on exactly yeah. what it is um but I, I think that because because when you you know especially like when you're in combat you know I mean when you know when when you go out on deployment when you guys see some really crazy stuff the crew probably gets really really tight really really quickly you know and yeah um, I mean you, you start building these bonds, and there are expectations, um, and you know, and it, not everybody's the same. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I went into my lieutenant's office and was like, hey, sir, it's 110 degrees outside. We need to go outside and sit in these metal trucks, you know, just so that like the Marines know we're out there with them, you know. And yeah. like what you've got going on is important, but you get to go home at night. So perhaps right. you just come back to work afterwards, you know, and we would take things out to the field. I've got, you know, a picture on my wall of uh me and six other people in a Humvee when it's like five degrees outside eating chow. Um and it's just like I enjoyed being around my people because yeah. like I wanted I wanted to I didn't want to train my replacement. I I think a lot of times we get brought up in that, but I think that the Marine Corps can be better. And so I wanted to make my people better than me um and and i think that for for me and for some other people like we just got so invested in it that it almost was just second nature to be around people all the time and it wasn't it wasn't one of those things where you're like oh god chief's here like yeah you know pretend to work it was like oh okay this person has invested like i've had people where um you know i I had a guy who was like hey look i i'm sorry i don't want to go on this exercise, you know, like do this thing with the platoon, like I'm trying to get out and do this stuff. And I'm like, cool, you know, I'm not going to force you to do it. Your EAS is prior to that, you know, but I'm going to try to help you help set you up for success. Right. Um, and, and we have a, we have a, uh, publication called sustain the transformation or well, they not me anymore. Um, (laughs) we have a publication called sustain the transformation and, you know, one one of the things that we always teach is whether your career is four years or forty years, the mm-hmm. Marine Corps has an obligation to take you as a civilian, make you a Marine, and then ultimately release you as a better citizen. Yeah. Um, you know, better than what you came in. Whether you came from you know crazy scenarios like you were talking about earlier before this started, or um, you know you're coming uh, like we we had a guy that was like uh like a literal rocket scientist. <laughs> um, like I, I worked with a guy that helped put a robot on Mars and then joined the Marine Corps at 20 years, 28 years old, you know, as, as an E2. Um,
0: <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, just like a swan and serve wanted, kind of thing? Or? He
1: wanted to get the experience because he's like, okay. I'll be fine on the outside. You know, I'm Yeah, gonna, good for him. I'm going to go be successful. I've got a career lined up. Right, and he's doing right. very well, but he's like, I want to know for how sure. the people on the bottom end feel so that when i'm
0: in the leadership position yeah i understand
1: like what's filtering down
0: not probably not a popular it's it's probably an unpopular hot take but i think everybody i think like i I hesitate to say it should be mandatory like but i think everybody should serve in the military i just there's everybody should should do like three years because it's just like there's so much there's so much gained by doing it and Um,
1: and i'm not I'm not sold on joining the military specifically, but doing some kind of public service. Right. I think there's a lot of good because right. you know whether you're an e m t or right. a police officer or firefighter like you're serving your community and you're able to see like these are the things that go you know it gives you a better appreciation for things i think
0: yeah no i think it I think it would add a lot to to people's lives and like you'd see a lot more mature and like Empathetic and just thoughtful people out there, but um, it's probably never going to happen. Um, <laughs> so, how I'm um, because this is another, and we talked a little bit about this um, with like when you contacted me initially, but like, how does leadership education in the Marine Corps? differ because like i and i can go into like what exists now and what existed before but effectively there was nothing for a really long time until you're a chief that's eligible to go to the senior listed academy so um i know you guys have your own system i know like the air force has a community college we have i guess they're like beta testing a community college now um I don't it seems technically focused so far, but I'm going to dig into that and try to drag some people on the podcast so I can get a better grasp of what they're doing. But how does the Marine Corps do it? And like what is like not not just the PME, even though I want to like know about that, but like how are leaders trained is probably the better way to frame the question, because like like is there a lot of on the job experiential type stuff or is it do you guys have like a good like strong formal education thing or is it both?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, so one of the main things, at least on the enlisted side is, um, why I I know my, my father-in-law used to teach at the NCO Academy back in the 80s. Um, so they had this course that you could take as an E4 and an E5, but there was really nothing mandated until you were in E7. Um, but basically the Marine Corps said, you know what, like it's important that we like, we have these courses, we have these seats and the funding, like let's send people to these courses. Um, so now Lance corporals will get one week. Corporals will get three weeks. Uh, sergeants get five weeks that actually changed while I was there. And then staff sergeants and gunnies will get seven weeks. And then E eights will come back. They have a seminar and then they have like an in-person course that they can take. Um, and then there's also a course, um, for commanders where they bring their senior enlisted leaders with them. So,
0: so this is all like universally at every level and like at every advancement, they all go to the in-residence courses that are that long? Yeah. So, oh, for um, fuck's sake. so E3 and E4 is all at the unit. Okay. So is it like, so the staff NCOs or somebody teaches that? It's, it's going to be, um, you
1: can have a PME complete corporal or sergeant, teaching the E threes. Okay. And then, um, it's going to be a sergeant and staff sergeants doing the E five or the E fours.
0: And then when you, how robust are those? Like as far as like quality and like, cause we had command delivered stuff for a long time. And if it even got done, it was hot garbage generally. So Um,
1: the, the courses are written. So I was responsible for like writing and managing those courses Um, So we wrote courses and then you as a battalion, you know, as the um, uh, corporal's course director or staff in COIC or whatever, you were responsible for creating a schedule, sending it back to the academy and saying, this is what we're going to teach. And you were required to teach 80% of the written material. Um, And the reason we did that is because Maybe if you work at a cyber unit, you want to talk about how how my role is going to be different as a cyber corporal or if you work at a motor T unit, how how things are going to be like tailor them to your unit. So units have to teach 80% of what's written and they have to submit the schedules. Now, I've heard of units running two week long corporals courses or running Lance Corporal seminar for two hours a day after classes like that is not how it's designed to be Uh run, but you know, people will do that. Um, But then, yeah, as an E5, you know, because we would sit at that, I mean, I was a Sergeant for five years to the day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to go to one, it was four weeks when I went to it. Um, Now it's five weeks and you know, a lot of times you'll hit it either whenever you're, Back from a deployment, or you know, you've got some downtime, or like when you're PCSing, you can do it in Route. Yeah. Um, and then over the last couple of years, they actually opened up a seminar. So now instead of you doing the five or seven weeks, you do fifteen weeks, but it's all online and asymmetric. So um, you know, if you're stationed in Florida and there's no academy near you, you can yeah. do everything online. I was at Camp Lejeune and Quantico and I did my E6 and E7 one. And so, um, how is met. it delivered? So, um, you have all the curriculum, just like a college course mm-hmm. and you do your, you do your work and everything. And then you come in one day a week and actually sit with an instructor, um, and, well, and your you're class.
0: Rem- If you're remote, how do you, is it like a zoom meeting or something? Yeah. If
1: you're, if you're remote, um, it'll be based off your geographic location. So everybody on the East coast that's doing it remote will dial in for three hours. Um, it's not on zoom, it's on, um, Adobe connect, but yeah, you do like a video conference thing.
0: So for the, going back to the, so you said like they have to do 80% of the curriculum, submit a plan to get approved. It's required, whatever. Like for us, it was it, it was required. There was a the, the course is supposed to take this long and it had like a guide and a and training objectives and all that stuff. And people just didn't do it like they just went into fleet temps and like logged it as done because um, it was required before frocking, like before they put the rank on, they had to do the the level of indoc that was applicable. Yeah. And like units just wouldn't do it because they just didn't think it was as important as all the other stuff they had to do. So, like, did, do you have you seen or heard of that, or do you ever run into that issue, or is it pretty robust across the entire Marine Corps where they're just like they take it very seriously and and get it done? So it it's a check in the box,
1: but a lot of places will get it done, and you'll you'll okay. see you'll see units. Um, so we had a unit on Camp Lejeune that just ran courses all the time, mm. and so. They were a non-deployable unit. Um, they were like a support unit and yeah. they would just
0: run courses
1: all the time.
0: That's awesome. That's um, our, the Navy ELD is kind of designed that way where they're, they're supposed to be uh, like creating facilitators in fleet concentration areas that are at like non seagoing non-deployable units um, that like basically like off it, the course is supposed to happen away from operational units and have like chiefs, senior chiefs, master chiefs from non-operational units certified to facilitate it, and then the operational guys just sign up and show up, and then we deliver it, and then they go back to their unit. But it's like, from what I can tell, at least up to this point, and a huge part of it was COVID just blew a hole like the size of the Titanic (laughs) in the program's rollout. But as far as I can tell, it's like most places are not doing a great job of getting facilitators certified and, and actually having courses available. So they can't make it mandatory because we don't have the infrastructure to support it. And I, you know, I hope they fix that. And I, I also hope that they leverage this Navy community college platform to deliver it remotely. Like you just described as well, because I think that, While I would prefer it be in person, obviously, it's there's still a lot of value in doing it that way. And I think it it could it could take away a lot of that pain. And then there's, you know, people remote and like Diego Garcia or something that could do, you know, they could still do it. And there's no excuse for like, oh, well, I wasn't near an academy like you can do it that way if you have to. But, yeah, and, yeah, and I
1: you you also get the added benefit. You know, people always talk about transformational leadership and how it's better than transactional leadership. And, yeah. you know, I kind of scoff at that because sometimes yeah. you need to be a transactional leader and, you know, you <sighs> need to have relationships and network with people. Right. And, you know, like, I still talk to people that I went to Sergeant's course
0: with in 2014, you know, like... Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't I, think... Being a like trying to say that like people need to be a transformational leader to me is like really misguided. Like, you're, yeah, you're, I think you're fundamentally misunderstanding what a transformational leader is. Like, when people have the debate about leaders are uh, born, not made, that's what they're talking about. It's like there's, there are intangibles and certain like personality traits and, and just characteristics that come natural with a person's like personality, just who they are that are going to uh, create that like persona or that, that um, style of leadership that people call transformational. I don't, could you teach some of it? Sure you could. Like you could pick up some of the, the concepts that might create just this crazy, amazing work environment and really strong team without some of those characteristics people would define as like uh the type of leader that qualifies as transformational and and then because of that by definition would be pointed at as a transformational leader but like i don't when people say that i don't think that i think what they mean is like those intangibles and most people aren't that like most people in leadership positions are not going to be that so to try to create that unrealistic expectation is just like stunting the growth of the leaders that we actually have. It's like, you're not going to be that if that's not who you are. So what can we do to leverage all of the strengths and tools that you do have and what things are very teachable and coachable and whatever that we can add and build you into a fully functional leader that is like, you're going to operate best in what like, I don't want to say comfortable, but like what you're good at, like everybody's got different sets of skills and different things that they're just going to be better at than other people. Like I can stand in front of a group of people and talk and like get them fired up. I have a loud, booming voice. I look the part, all that kind of intangible crap. I'm I have that. I know guys that are the polar opposite of me and their department would have laid down in traffic for them. Yeah. If they thought it was in their best interest. And he was my buddy. He was I talk about him a lot. I mean, he was like kind of squishy, losing his hair, looked like he was 40 and he was like 29, like real soft spoken dude, um, kind of almost like mumble talked really softly and uh, was very like he would get frazzled very easily and kind of like almost like panic react to things and try to go into compliance slash people pleasing mode with like like upper leadership. He'd get like spooked and be like uh, 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 and try to like start doing whatever he thought they wanted. Um But this dude would give you the shirt off his back if he just thought there was a stiff breeze like you might need it. So here I'm going to walk around without a shirt just because I think you might need it later. Yeah, like he was just the best dude. I, I love that guy and his people would have t- taken a bullet for him. And so it's like I point at him as like an example of like that kind of stuff is not necessary. Like, right. Is it nice? Is it appealing to a large group of people? Sure. But it's completely unnecessary to be wildly successful at leadership.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, um, I, I think a lot of times we glob on to those buzzwords. Yeah. And because somebody has said transformational leadership and, Um, you know, like that's, that's what we need to be people are like, yeah, that's what, but in reality, like not everybody is going to be, you know, the, the next general Mattis or, you know, like, like you're going to have people who are quiet leaders who do a good job and, you know, they may never know their impact. I mean, I had some leaders like you were just talking about that, you know, will probably never know their impact. Um, mm-hmm. and then I've had other guys, like when, when I was out in Bridgeport, I got the opportunity to be, um, uh, a trusted agent. So I knew what red forces were doing and what blue forces were doing. Mm-hmm. And I went and listened to this captain who, uh, was given the, the role of like putting together this unit to be red forces for like the entire East coast. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I need to find all the people who are about to get ad set And basically put together this group of like unlikely people had probably the most motivated like company in the Marine Corps. And I listened to him give a speech and I was like, you know what? I don't want to be on blue forces anymore. Like give Ah. me an AK. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, and, and he was this unassuming guy. Like the first time I met him, they were like, yeah, this captain's going to leave. Like dude didn't say a word. He was just real quiet and meek. And then I heard him give the speech and I was like, yeah, like right. yeah. blue forces can die, you know. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's funny. But but yeah, so, uh, and, and and maybe that's one of the reasons, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about like leadership up through the ranks. Maybe that's one of the reasons that it kind of permeates is because as an E three, E four, you're getting that, um, and like I said, you're getting that within your unit. But then E five is really where you start making your money. Yeah. Um. So in so I got there in 2017 and my Colonel, absolutely incredible. Um, he wrote me a letter of recommendation for OCS, like really great guy. Nice. Um, and, and Colonel Williams just said like, we need to change this. And I don't know how we need to do it, but we need to do it. And so I said, Hey, have y'all called the air force? Cause they just changed two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, everybody's like, Oh, we don't need to call the air force. Like, we're better than them and I was like yeah okay so I called the Air Force and I was like hey um the guy's call sign was like juicy or something so so I called this guy and and I had like a three or four hour conversation and he's like yeah you know we structured everything like a college um
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and then we started like getting guest professors plus all of our instructors have degrees and so because I didn't have you know like what was basically happened is we were given doctrine and they're like, Hey, write a three hour course on this piece of doctrine. Mm -hmm. And so you're just regurgitating doctrine, you know, for, for classes. And I was like, you know what? You didn't tell me how to do my job. I don't know how to do my job. If I'm trying to get this accredited, let me go to college. So Mm -hmm. I went to a couple of the colleges in the DC area and was like, okay, if you, you know, to like all their um, doctorate professors and was like, if you were teaching people who are like mid-level managers, they've got a team of 30 or less people, what kind of principles would you teach them? And so we started writing on transformational versus transactional leadership and kind of making the point that you need both. Like you need to understand when, when to leverage relationships and when to, you know, like how to do certain things. And, um, Another thing I wrote on was emotional intelligence and personality mm-hmm. profiles, yep. Um, and and I'll never forget one of the reviews was, "I'm a gosh dang staff sergeant in the United States Marine Corps. I will never use emotional intelligence."
0: Ah. And I was like, <laughs> "But,
1: but the th- like that means you didn't uh, understand the lesson. That's because
0: you don't have any, sir. <laughs> and, and that's what we're trying to fix. Yeah. And and so, oh
1: wow. Like I've I've had." I've had, uh, you know, Marines of mine or or people that knew me that will like text me a picture of like my name on top of the lesson. And they're like, you actually wrote this? I'm like, yeah, like, but that's because like, like, like I said earlier with with some of my junior Marines, like I wasn't trying to train my, like I wasn't trying to make you my replacement. I wanted to make you better than me because I've got my flaws. I know the things that I've messed up, but if I can make you better yeah. then you have the opportunity to make the next people better, you know? And so I may not be able to change the entire organization, but we can change the organization, you know, like right. generations down the line, we can, we can do that. And that's, that's a vision that Colonel Williams had uh, and he's probably the only person I'll call by name um, just cause he was incredible. Okay. And, uh, and you know, when, when the commandant and Sergeant major, of the Marine Corps came down and they were like, well, Colonel, when are we going to see the changes? He said, "You know, in twenty years, when a sergeant that's going through this new course is the sergeant major of the Marine Corps, that's when yeah. you're going to see the change." Yeah, and yep. uh, and a lot of people didn't like it. You know, I mean, yeah, we, we removed drill, and people were like, "Hey, you need to go out there and pop sticks." But the colonel said, "Okay, well, if a sergeant is going to be advising a lieutenant, what is the lieutenant learning, and how can we?" Not water it down, but how can we translate that to a sergeant so that when the lieutenant is talking about things, the sergeant can respond intelligently right. to the person they're supposed to advise? And so every lesson we wrote and every um, school that we wrote, so sergeant school for E5, career for E6, and um, advanced for E7. Every school that we wrote was based off of that premise. Like, yeah. who does this rank talk to? Right. Uh, what should they be able to talk about? And how do we improve the communication between commissioned and non commissioned officers? Every God. single lesson got I to like that.
0: it. Yeah. And that response is, I like it, it gives me a tremendous amount of hope. Shout out to Colonel Williams uh, that at his level, And somebody that's in charge of developing the curriculum for a branch of the armed services understands that and is willing to like tell general officers or flag officers like, hey, this is how this works. Because the only way that you fix what in my analysis is like an institutional problem in the Navy with leadership development and education, the only way you ever fix the problem is by understanding that. It's going to take a generation at right. least before you start seeing the like the benefits of the course correction. Like it's going to take institutional level change that you're only going to see the 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 literal change of like the procedure and logistics of what's needed. You're only going to see that at the beginning on the surface, and then you're just going to have to stay the course And have faith that in a generation, there's going to be somebody like there's going to be a lot of somebody like we're going to breed a lot of these problems out of the system by educating the junior people so that when they're in leadership positions, they're not making the same mistakes. But it's that no one seems to understand that or be willing to. Even have the conversation like it's it seems like we're allergic to talking about leadership development and education in the Navy. Yeah, Um, everybody wants to be hyper and you'll see it. Everybody wants to be hyper, hyper, hyper focused on like technical knowledge, competency, experience, qualifications, blah, blah, blah. And it's like. Those things aren't unimportant, obviously, but. Like in order for those things to function the way that they need to. Like leadership development and education is the thing that's gonna guide those. It's gonna make sure people are properly qualified, the people are in the right positions, they're being utilized correctly. Like all of the things branch out from leadership, practicing leadership competently, like applying all of the the principles in a way that are best for the mission, are best for the people, are best for all you know, everything. Yeah. And it's if they don't know how to do that. You're never going to outrun all these problems that we're trying to treat the symptoms of instead of the actual underlying problem. And it's like super uh, it's super heartening to me that somebody at, at his level understands that and is acting on that and then is willing to tell a bunch of flag officers to their face like stand by it's going to take 20 (laughs) 25 30 years yeah this is going to be a painful uh, process but at the end like the the
1: changes that come from it are going to be positive
0: right and it it, we're somehow willing to plan out like like not just warship like uh like they're, they're planning out and developing like technology for the next generation of submarines that aren't going to be in service until like 2050 or something yeah and it's like we're willing to do all that like we're planning out uh, like on a 50 to 100 year horizon for weapons technology and and war platforms and all this other crap but for some reason it is completely lost on people that uh that leadership development education is like the most important thing. Cause like I, I was, I wrote a bunch of, I, I started writing for on Substack. stack. It's been a minute. I need to get back on that, but I've had a lot going on as I've been retiring, but I wrote an article about, um, and I forget what I forget which one it was, but I talked about, I read it. I read something for school and then I transitioned it into some, some article about this dude that was, uh, he was an admiral that was the commandant of the Naval War College. And he wrote this article basically saying as a flag officer, a post command tour officer that's a flag officer and is the commandant of the Naval War College, which for those that don't know, is the overarching organization in charge of every like leadership, ethics, management related function, the senior enlisted academy, everything. It all falls under the Naval War College. Um he's a commandant of a war college and he wrote an article basically saying that during his time as a commandant of this war college, that he had an epiphany and part of the epiphany was basically that leadership is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, great. That's That's great that you finally figured this out. And I'm not trying to troll too hard, but like, cause I'm sure he didn't like, it's not the first time he's ever thought that leadership was important, but, I was sitting there reading the article, and the thing that that jumped out at me was that he was talking about it like, "Oh, I just realized that developing leaders is like the most important thing that we can and should be doing." And I, I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like they don't even know. Like they don't even they they're not even aware. Like, and it, it was it, I remember just feeling crushed, and I'm just like. How am I the only chicken little in the room screaming? The sky is falling and it's like, I don't understand. Like, am I a unicorn? Am I the only one? Because I know like I'm not the only one that feels the way that I feel, but I often get a lot of a lot of the positive feedback that I get, especially from Chiefs, which is the lion's share of it, is like I'm speaking what they're thinking, I guess. So it's not that I'm the only one that feels this way. But a lot of the times I think that I'm the only one that um, I guess that understood there to be this gigantic problem at like an institutional level. And now that I'm saying it, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, okay, I get I agree with you. You know what I mean? Like they weren't aware of it or thinking about it largely until they started to hear me talk about it and then there a lot of people are just like oh my god he's right and they're like agreeing with me um i just i don't know man it's it like when i i remember reading that article and i was just floored that he would write that and not think to himself this is going to sound ridiculous coming from me you yeah. know what I mean? Like I and it's not that I don't want him to think it's important, obviously. It was just the way that it was written where it's basically saying, Oh, I had this epiphany and I just now understood the gravity of my job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like now well, I'm I in think, charge of training of times, and developing leaders and I just figured out how important it was. I don't know.
1: I, I think a lot of times we get so focused on like getting to that next rank or, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that we've got the evals and, you know, the the whole eval system is its own can of worms and, uh, and that's across branches. That's not a maybe specific thing, but you know, like I, I always had trouble writing my reports. Cause I was like, I don't, you know, like you get to the end of the year and you're like, what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, people are like, Oh yeah, you did really well at this and really well at that. And you know, like, yeah. I'm glad you did this. And you're like, you like, yeah, but now I have to put it on paper. Right. Um, you know, and luckily like I had other people who were evaluating for me. So, you know, I write whatever I write and they, <laughs> they're yeah, the ones yeah. like making the chops and, and putting right. stuff in there. Um, but yeah, people people forget about that. Like, I, I used to hear people all the time, um, you know, people, staff and CEOs who would say, you know, I'm glad that I'm getting promoted because I get a bigger paycheck. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember getting promoted to Gunny and they were like, what do you want to say? And I said, you know, a lot of people do this and they're excited about their bigger paycheck. I was like, but the Marine Corps just gave me a bigger shield to shield you from yes. the BS. Like, yep. now I can fight harder for you yeah um you know and i had i i was you know became kind of like when when you become a chief like you become that expert you can kind of sit at the big boy table you know at the big kid table and uh you know like i have the i i have the ability and the technical expertise now to advocate for you um, right and and i can fight a lot harder and i think a lot of times we lose sight of that like I'll never forget. I had a captain, um, that was just passing by and I I started doing this later. Um, but this uh, Marine Corps captain, not Navy captain. Yeah. And, uh, he took his cover off and he had a Sergeant Chevron on one side and a Lieutenant bar on the other side. And I was like, sir, like you're a captain. You know, I like, I knew people, you know, we always had the next rank. I had, had a dude that, also had the rank below because he's like, you never know when you're going to get spot uh, reduced. <laughs> but I, like I was it. like, sir, why do you have that? And he yeah. said, because I never want to forget who I work for. So this O3 oh, keeps wow. in mind his NCOs and his junior officers. That's amazing. Um, and, and so I started doing that and I was like, that is an I love awesome yeah. like, reminder. Like you're, you know, yeah, it's cool. I want to get promoted, but like. I really and, like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I had, uh, when, when I sat down with my last lieutenant, when we were doing my, my onboarding, he said, you know, Hey guns, what is it that you think you do here? And I said, sir, I have two jobs, make you look like the best lieutenant in this entire battalion and make this platoon look like the best junior Marines in the entire battalion. And I was like, if what I'm doing doesn't meet those two goals, then I'm failing. And he was like, yeah, I guess this. Counseling is over. Like, yeah. <laughs> like what, what am I gonna say now? Uh, I think we're gonna get along just fine, Gunny. <laughs> yeah. um. and and you know, like that's that's what I try to do. Like, I'm going to fail. I'm going, like, I've had him pull me aside and he's like, hey guns, like, I think you're slipping here. Yep, sir, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. I had some things going on, you know, like I'll tighten it back up. Or, yeah. you know, hey, sir, you're making it really hard to make you look like the best lieutenant. Uh, just want to <laughs> just want right. to keep it real, right. um, but at the end of it, you know, I, I talked about going to Bridgeport. Like the regimental commander requested us by name, he was like, mm. "Hey, you know, y- y'all are on the hook for sending us uh, some enablers, but I want these two guys." Yeah, and you know, our Italian commander was like, "Well, you know, the gunny's leaving the Marine Corps, but you can have the lieutenant." <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, and I, I think that mindset. As, you know whether whether you're a chief, whether you're, you know, second class, first class, junior officer, whatever. Like, make your division look like the best division in your right. unit, and make your senior leadership look like the best to their boss, and you're you know you really won't have problems.
0: Um, yeah, and I, the the thing that I the way that I package that sentiment is my. Only job as a chief, in my analysis, and like yes, sure that you could put an asterisk. There's some exceptions. Thanks for coming by and trolling me. <laughs> um, my only job as a chief is to give my people every single thing that they need to get the mission done. Because right. in most capacities chiefs aren't the ones doing the mission they're the ones like i'm in a leadership position and i'm managing people and resources and whatever so like i'm my only job is to take care of these people so they can take care of the mission like that's the way that i communicate it to everybody and it's like well people uh, you'll see like uh, mission first sailors always i'm like they are the mission you (laughs) idiot like i hate that saying because it's like for leadership that are in leadership positions, the people are the mission. Like the only thing you're responsible for is taking care of these people so they can do the mission because they're the ones that are getting their hands dirty doing the thing. Like I like largely like on submarines. I'm okay. I'm standing diving officer of the watch. So I am doing a thing. But even then, I am. I am lording over a watch section. Like I'm telling people what to do. I'm not doing many things with my actual hands besides pointing and telling people and like, I'll touch my helmsman on the shoulder and say, Hey, do this. And I'll touch my planes. But you know yeah, I mean like, yeah, I'm not, I'm giving orders to people. Um, so yes, am I involved? Sure. But I'm still like managing resources and people. So it's like, The only job I have is making sure that they're trained and and ready and like personally and professionally just focused and equipped. And and we have all of the material and you have all of the skills, you're fully qualified, blah, blah, blah. Like make sure they have everything that they need. So all they got to do is keep their eyes on the ball and do the thing. And yep. that's all they are focused on because they know they're ready and they're not worried about stuff at home and they're not worried about do I know what I'm supposed to do or am I qualified and if I am qualified, am I ready and blah, blah, blah. Like I need to do everything I possibly can to get them ready to do the thing so that when it's time, they, they succeed. And it, it melts my brain when people get focused on all of this other crap and then the people suffer as a result because, oh, well, we got to do this. We got to do that. And they get like in the weeds on all this technical crap and they get in the weeds on well we got to do drills and we got to do training and we got to do all this other crap. And then they completely lose sight of taking care of the people that have to do the thing so that they get like r- they're running these people in the ground. They're completely neglecting all of their like personal and professional well-being. And then when it is showtime, those people like mud dart they fail to accomplish what needed to be accomplished or they just do it like at a substandard level and then we're all looking around going what happened <laughs> it's like they, they are the mission dummy like it, it, it i just i it i struggle to understand like why any leader doesn't grasp that and it, it it I'll never stop saying it. It's, it's it's just like that's the most important thing. Like take care of these damn people, and it's like it's exactly what you said, but different. Like it's just I I it it blows my mind that m- more if not all leaders don't approach it that way, and I think in the Navy we are particularly skilled at losing sight of that.
1: Yeah, it's you know like people people always. Look to authors and speakers like Simon Sinek, and they're like, yeah. "Oh yeah, I'm applying all these principles." But are you creating that circle of safety? Like, do yeah. your people come to you? Do they trust you? I, I like. I used to tell my people all the time. Um, like, I, I had a first sergeant who was like, "I don't understand why you're releasing everybody early." Well, first yeah. sergeant, we got everything done that we needed to do. Right. We're going to be deploying, so like, I'm going to be taking so much of their time when we're deployed and like when we're like hot and heavy
0: in the workup, Mm -hmm. why not give it back to them now? Right. So that when I need to demand more of them at that time, I get it. And, and like, I I'll never forget. We had, we were told as long as the Humvees show up by three
1: o'clock, this is on a Friday, as long Mm -hmm. as the Humvees show up by three o'clock, we can go to the field tomorrow at like four thirty in the morning. We had to show up uh, mm-hmm. on a Saturday because like our command hated us, <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, there's there's a reason that Marines are always always angry
0: and like yeah. kill, yeah. And
1: <laughs> so, so the Humvees showed up at five o'clock in the evening. You know, two hours passed when they were supposed to. We got the gear. We had to JLTI it. Which, you know? We had to sit it all out. Op check it. Do all of this stuff. And then we still had to be there at 4.30 Mm -hmm. in the morning to like draw rifles and head out to the field on a Saturday. And um, so me and my gunny, we pitched in um, because he was the staff in CIC and I was the platoon sergeant. Mm -hmm. We pitched in, we bought our people pizza and they were like, you know what, this sucks. But like, yeah, we had. 12 extra hours with our family you know when we were getting released at one instead of five yeah you know over the last two weeks and, and right. things like that and like my platoon was the first one done there was no complaining we yep. all enjoyed pizza yep you know and then we went out to the field the next week we had a good time yeah you know and like people people just lose sight of that like if you if yeah. you take care of people and you treat them like people like because i have a family i enjoy I, Right. going home to my
0: family you know yeah
1: like other people you know i i had to tell a gunny like just because you're having marital problems doesn't mean i am <laughs> you know.
0: yeah or doesn't mean i want to yeah like, as a result of you're never on your going third home.
1: wife i i would like to be one and
0: done you know like yeah um so and got it you got you know. to keep this smoke pit success story going <laughs> like we can't it, we got to keep yeah. giving these brand new Marines hope. Damn it. <laughs> uh, not only was it, it a can smoke work. pit, it was a deal. I love. <laughs> oh my God. That's so great. Like, uh, I need to have, later, I'm having you and your wife on, and we're going to talk about the Smoke Pit love story. That's what I'm going to call the episode, and it's going to be amazing. Oh, going like, they're, after a they're real. Run It does to happen. Get
1: it was, <laughs> I, I posted a picture on Reddit a, a while back. Oh uh, my God, that's so uh, good. I like good. blurred out our faces and stuff, Yeah, but yeah,
0: it was. <laughs> that's so good. I so. love it. Um <laughs> So the last thing I'm going to end with this, like the last thing I'm curious, uh, what are you the most uh, worried, concerned, scared about as you make this transition uh, to not just being an officer, but like now you're a naval officer and you see your new branch of service and then totally new leadership uh, mechanism, I guess. Like, what are you the most worried about as you go forward? So
1: I I think probably not being able to make a difference. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, like with, with education and, and part of the reason I reached out to you and I'm glad that we got to talk about PME, um, you know, I want to be able to make a difference for people, whether yeah. that's in my you know in my unit in my division department you know whatever level um but if i can help spur institutional change yeah um for the better like i'm all about it like i I would love to be part of like experimental programs um because i think like that's that was part of my selling point and like when i wrote my motivational statement that was one of the things that i talked about was being able to improve things because mm-hmm. there there are a lot of areas where I think we fail our sailors. Um, you know, going back to that leadership thing, like looking at, uh, you know, there was somebody posting about his TA getting denied for no reason. Like, yeah. you know, can we change TA, uh, you know, like reduce that three-year gap? Can, you know, if we can institute PME, at lower levels and make it worthwhile, can we put people on the path to a degree? Um, right. You know, like how can we use the Naval Community College to like really set people up for success? Because I think education is extremely important. And while the Navy doesn't, or at least that I've seen yet, have that sustain the transformation mindset, mm-hmm. um, I think as military leaders, we have an obligation to all of our sailors to help them sustain that transformation. Because at the end of the day, we can't keep all of our junior sailors. Like right. the lower ranks have to get out. Um, but if I can send you, if I can send you packing with something tangible and improve your quality of life, uh, I, I think that's, that's a success in my, you know, like I've, I've been successful in my book. And I think my biggest fear is probably not being able to do that.
0: Uh, is it because like, so in the officer position, you're not going to have like as much access to junior sailors or is it just like, just a fear of the unknown? Like will I have the chance to do it kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I, you know, in the Marine Corps, I understand who to talk to, where to right. go for things. Okay. Um, but now that, now that I've transitioned to the Navy, um, it's, it's similar but it's not quite the same, yeah. Um, and so now I have to figure out a new structure, and I'm, you know, I'm up against the clock because I've been in for thirteen, or well, fourteen years now, yeah. So I have at the most sixteen years left, um, it, if my wife allows me to stay. Yeah. That long. Uh, <laughs> you know, the the CEO gets to make those calls, but right, right. Um, you know, if I may not have that time to to be able to make those changes, but if I can if I can start figuring things out and maybe it crashes and burns, maybe like I'm told, Hey, we're not going to do this, but if I can try, yeah, you know, like I've done what I can, if I can like get other people to the point where they can pick up where I left off, maybe I'm not the one that can get the wheel in motion, mm-hmm. but if I can inspire other people to do that. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's a success in my book.
0: Yeah. Well, I, that's how I look at the podcast and I'll tell you what, man, like I'm about to be going real hard in the paint with, like creating other uh, lanes and content and I want to eventually create courses and all that other stuff. So I will definitely be calling on your (laughs) expertise on, uh, on that kind of stuff. The job that I got hired for it'll like, we're going to be doing curriculum stuff and I'll be working with like instructional design people. So I'm excited to learn those things for that exact reason is like, I want to eventually create a curriculum like uh, somehow and i don't know how i want to deliver it yet i don't know um like what different modalities i want to use and and even what i want to do the courses on yet but um i'm excited to learn a lot about it because they're they're very focused on like e-learning things and yeah and uh, all the different like tools you have for delivering things remotely or electronically or whatever and so i want to like I'm excited to learn all those things, but like you already have experience doing a lot of that stuff. So like, yeah, I, it's funny how you meet people that uh r- like right around when you need uh, those types of things. Cause like, that's been my whole experience over seven years of doing this is I just, I just fall into things. Like I just go from one thing to the next thing, to the next thing. And it progresses in this logical pattern. And I just end up talking to these people that, like can point me in the right direction or will like Andrew willing to do the foundations episodes um mm-hmm. even though it's been a minute i'm just saying andrew let's go um but he said he was going to do one on uh, emotional intelligence i think and i'm still waiting Yeah
1: and and like i i heard that on that on that podcast and i got super excited yeah. about it cuz Yeah you know like that's yep. that's was my jam for about nine
0: months when i was like developing uh these courses so uh andrew either one uh we're both looking at you with our like what the eyes or two uh you're about to be replaced bro so <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> no, nah, I'm playing, I'm playing. Um, but yeah, I mean no, I I will definitely uh try to drag you into this realm. Uh and I think dude, I, one of the reasons I even brought bring that up is because one of the things that kind, like I I never went into this thinking that it was going to become uh like what I do. It was just something I was doing as like a just passion a hobby. project on the side because I yeah. saw a need that needed to be addressed and it was just like the I thought I was just kind of like uh, finding a new way to solve a leadership problem and I never thought I thought I'd kind of create this library of things like these resources for sailors and then just like keep it up on the internet and stop doing it and here I am seven years later about <laughs> to like try to expand it out and all these other things and and just continue to be as useful as I can be And it, but it's become like a like a new mission for me. It's like, we're going to step into the role that the Navy was in a lot of ways, as far as like the fulfillment that I get from making that difference that you're talking about. And yeah, um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Even if you're operating a little bit outside of the lifelines, like I have been for a while, but I can tell you, like, I know I've made a difference and I don't think that, like, I don't think that I haven't left a mark on certain people in a positive way uh, as a leader, like directly in the like the people that I've worked for with you know whatever, but I can tell you that I think as far as correcting things on that institutional level i I don't think I made any mark like while I was on active duty, but I think that through this platform um I've made a way bigger impact on a way larger group of people, and I know there's like there's like decision makers at a high level listening. Um, so it's like, I, I know that those people are listening. And so it's like, is it impacting them? I don't know. But like maybe sometimes some of that stuff is nudging them in the right direction or bringing attention to certain things or causing them to look closer at something or whatever. And if nothing else, I I know eventually somebody like some of the people kind of like what the, your captain was saying, like, um, or colonel, sorry. Uh was saying about like eventually some people listening and learning from what we're doing is gonna be in a position of power or a position of influence that can like change things for the better at an institutional level. So it may not be me, but I will have contributed. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, uh, like you've given you've given that that platform for people or you've you've
1: created a, a situation where like yeah. Yeah,
0: no, that, that makes sense. Sure, man. I don't think there's a chance in hell. You're not going to make a difference either. So, <laughs> well, thank uh, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this, man. This was super fun. And I will definitely drag you back on here. We're definitely we're for sure doing that episode with your wife. Tell her. <laughs> okay. It's got to happen. <laughs> okay, I'll let her know. Uh, yeah, she she texted me. Good.
1: She texts me um, probably like 10 minutes after we said that.
0: Um, uh, oh, because she heard you or something. Yeah, she it's heard like, me. Oh, uh, yeah. It's happening. Because
1: she's she's in bed, and she <laughs> yeah. was like, really? Like, you can come back from that mistake? <laughs> uh,
0: well, hey, Mo, it's because everybody has the opinion that that is only ever going to end badly. Right. Turns and, out it and doesn't fair, always end badly, does it? Like, <laughs> to be fair, I mean, DLI
1: is called the Drunk Lust Institute for a reason. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I've known people who entered their first second and even third marriages while there
0: So for all of the lance corporals and below out there turns out there's hope <laughs> like just don't buy a mustang with 27 percent interest don't oh that. Gosh. there's nothing there, that's gonna be a way more painful to come back from <laughs> well yeah thanks man this was awesome yeah no problem thanks for having me on all right, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I had a great time uh, talking to him. It was really fun, and I definitely will drag him back onto the podcast for other things, as we discussed. Uh, he's he's got a lot to to offer, and uh, I really liked his perspective on all the things. Like it was just such a bizarre scenario. Um, it probably happens more than I'm aware of, but it's still got to be pretty rare. And uh, I really enjoyed his perspective and his his outlook on leadership. Uh, I think we kind of see eye to eye on a lot of things and then just getting to hear about the transition was really fun and i'm really looking forward to hearing about it uh like six months to a year down the line when uh when he's had a bunch like a bunch of time to get comfortable as a divo, you know and like spend some time doing his job uh and just see how uh maybe some of his perspectives have changed and some of the challenges he encountered along the way so a lot of fun uh i really enjoyed that one and i hope you did as well if you need anything from us, as always, hit us up. Don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Uh, don't give up the shit podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram, Reddit, or Discord at DGuts Podcast. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, feedback, whatever. Uh, don't be shy. And then if you want to support us, there's a donate button on the website, DGutsPodcast.com. Uh, you can go to the Substack for the Thought Lab stuff, dguts.substack.com. Uh, if you're interested in leadership theory stuff, we got articles and podcasts there. And then you can get that podcast, the Thought Lab podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. Um, but you can also subscribe to the premium subscription on Substack. Substack. Um, Right now, that would effectively be donating. <laughs> when I get fully retired, I'll be doing more like uh, premium content on that side of the house. And then uh, you can go to don't give up the ship apparel, dguessapparel.com. You get some naval pride and heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Uh, that helps us out a lot with uh, expansion of the platform, paying for all the things that we need to for uh, doing all that as we go. Uh, Patreon's inbound as well. And then, uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship.